Well, welcome to Gateway. We're so glad you were with us this morning. My name is Carlos. I'm our senior pastor. So good to be with you. Uh, I'd like to welcome all of our campuses who are joining us from Buda, uh, Pflugerville, Central Campus, South Campus, here at North Campus. Will you give it up for all of our campuses who are joining us, especially all of you who are watching online? In Texas, around the nation, around the world, we're so glad that you are with us. So I want to jump right in and ask you a question. If you've heard me speak before, I ask a lot of questions because I, I say this, a good question sticks with you. Uh, and here's, here's not a good question. You pick your kids up from school or you see your roommate for the first time at the end of a day. You say, how was your day? That's not a good question. Right, because those, oh, it was okay, it was fine, yeah, everything's good. No, a good question kind of sticks to your bones. When somebody asks you a question and you can't get it out of your head, like the later that day or later that night, that was a really good question. So I want to ask you a question that might just stick with you. Have you ever been in a situation that you just did not want to be in? And right now you're all thinking of like, yeah, it's my life right now, all right? Like, I don't know if you know my life right now. I don't want to be in the situations I'm in. Have you ever been in a place that you did not want to be in? Have you ever been in a relationship, in a work situation, a school, a university, a some sort of situation where you just wish you were not in that place at that time, in that moment, that you could just pass the buck to somebody else to take that job or to take that role or to, to take that, that, that seat? You do not want to be in it, and I understand completely. Libby and I, my wife, were married about a few months, about three months, and somebody had asked us to join their staff. We were young staffers uh, in our early, early 20s, and uh, we had just gotten married, and we found out we're pregnant, and I'm living in Dallas, Texas. It's my hometown, and I, and I love being in Dallas. And when I married Libby, she was moving from Iowa, and I told her, listen, if we're going to be together, we're going to live in Dallas, Texas, right? And uh, so she, she said, okay, well, I, I don't really care about living in Iowa anymore. And uh, if you've ever been there, you know why. Just kidding. Just kidding for all you Midwesterners. She moved to Texas, and uh, we're, we're having a good time, and somebody asked us if we would join their staff. And uh, listen, if you're from Texas, you're going to really understand this. The state they wanted us to move to was like, God forbid that we move to this state. It was Arkansas. And I was like, I don't even know if they speak English in Arkansas. I think it's a dialect of English. I'm not really sure. But as a kid who grew up, growing up in Texas and my formative years were in Michigan, like I'm a Michigan Wolverine person. So, you know, obviously living in Texas, I understood that. But I also grew up in South Texas. So down the road, we cheered for the Texas Longhorns. And so if you're cheering for the Texas Longhorns, there's no way you're going to move to the Pig Suey State. Woo! Pig suey. Are you kidding me? Who picks a pig as their mascot? I don't know, but these people do. And so I said, no, I don't even want to visit. I don't even want to go on I-30 on that part. I, that, that just doesn't exist. And my wife's like, you got to consider it. We considered it, and I considered it a no. She goes, no, you have to go visit. I'm not going to visit, especially Malvern, Arkansas. It's on the freeway. It's the sister city to, to Hot Springs, Arkansas. Nobody lives there. Here's how bad it is. Walmart closes at 7 p.m. 
bad. But of course we visited, and God said, this is where you're moving. I'm like, man, I shouldn't have fought you so hard. And we moved to Malvern, Arkansas, and, and I gotta tell you, I just was, I was actually kind of fearful. I went to the DMV to get my new Texas, my new Arkansas license plate, and it was like, it was like a death. I was giving over my Texas license. I said, well, can I have this back? No, and they cut it up right in front of me. I was so mad. But here's why I was afraid. When I went to go get my license, they said, are you black or are you white? I said, are those the only two options? <laughs> And they said, and this is exactly what the lady told me. She had her glasses, she put them down. She said, sir, in this state, you're either black or white. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. She goes, well, let me help you out, son. Nobody really calls me son, except my dad and my mom when I'm in trouble. Except in Arkansas. Let me help you out, son. I'm looking at you right now, and you definitely don't look black, so you're one of us. So for 18 months, I was white on my license plate. And it felt all wrong. And yet, if I wasn't careful, I, had to, I would forget that that is exactly where God wanted me. That's where God called my wife and I. And these people, I mean, when I showed up, this is what I expected to see. It's gonna show up on your screens real quick. This is what I expected to see. I think it's gonna show up. Should be a picture. This is what I expected. And guess what? They did not disappoint. That's exactly what I saw. <laughs> you thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? No, it's exactly what I saw. But it's not what I experienced. What I experienced was a loving group of people who may have been from the backwoods, but they embraced my family. And they were there when my wife had our first child, Carlos. And they gave us the honor, I guess, of renaming him without our permission. That's why at 22 years old, his name is still Bubba. <laughs> they christened him Bubba. One of about 2,000 Bubbas I met in my time there. But they embraced us. And I gotta be honest, I didn't necessarily embrace it at the beginning. You can tell from my tone. But once I knew and some of my, my thoughts about these people, they're going to really, you know, didn't see any other people who, were, who looked like me. I didn't see any people who were speaking Spanish. So I had all these preconceived notions. And once that broke down, I then began to respond by embracing the culture, embracing the people, embracing the city that God had called me to, Malvern, Arkansas, and my wife says I embraced it too much because a year and a half later, I'd gained 30 pounds from all the fried chicken, fried catfish, pies, church potlucks, and extra deer meat in my freezer. <laughs> Why is this important? It's important because as a young pastor, I had to realize these people were pastoring and loving me before I could ever pastor and love them. It was the city and the place that God had called me to because the church is meant to be a bridge from our city to our God. Our church is meant to be the bridge, not the landing spot. 
You don't commit your life and heart to a church. You commit your heart and life to the one who created you, his new son, to die for you. And we are merely a bridge from our city and the people of the city to our God. So how do we see those around us? I had already asked the question, have you ever been in a situation or a city or a place or a school you did not want to be in? And I wonder, and have you ever wondered, why would God put me in this place and season at this time? And maybe it was so you could make a difference in people. Or maybe for people to make a difference in you. So I want to kind of walk us through what happens when we begin to reject the city or the situation or the people that we're around. And you can see the slippery slope if we're not careful. So, so here's the first thing. When we ignore the people of our city, we rob ourselves of God's heart for them. Sometimes we're just enduring. We're pushing through the situation. When we ignore the people of our city, we rob ourselves of God's heart for them. When we reject the people of our city, we forget God's acceptance of them. And you can easily go from one to the other. The third one is this. When we despise the people of our city, all those those people from that country, those people from that state, why don't they get their license plate Change. They're already living in the great state of Texas, especially those people with those yellow plates from New Mexico. Those are ugly. Oh, just me? I'm the only one that thought that? Okay, so. <laughs> when we despise the people of our city, we block out God's desire for them. See the slippery slope? And the last one is this. When we hate the people of our city, we actually become enemies of God. And I know that's a strong statement, but it actually is in Romans chapter eight. When we become enemies of God because we cannot please him when we no longer reflect his values. When we hate people, we cannot please him and we are now ruined by our own human nature and can no longer take a excuse me, take on the, the reflection and the spirit of God. And so when you, especially if you are a Christ follower, can no longer reflect the heart and love of God, you actually grow into becoming an enemy of God. And it starts off by just this indifference of ignoring, then rejecting, despising, and then hating. And this can happen to every single person. Acts chapter 17, we're gonna read through a story of Paul. And this story is, we're gonna read it in its entirety because it's a great story of somebody just being in a place that he necessarily doesn't want to be at. Paul had several times, Paul was, was, was a missionary, he was a, he was a propagator of the gospel, and there were many times he found himself in, himself in situations or cities that were not originally on his plan. Many of you are planners, you're high J's, you're organizers, and the moment one little thing is off, your whole plan is just shot, right? And some of you are married to people like that. You just ruined our vacation. I'm sorry, babe, we were late for breakfast by 10 minutes. It did not ruin our vacation. No, you ruined it. I'm triggering some of you right now on purpose. 
Right, but Paul had a plan and it really wasn't coming together. And he finds himself in the city of Athens and he really didn't have a place to be in Athens. He was waiting for his friends to arrive. So it was just more of a meeting spot and something happens in his heart while he's in a city that he has no intentions of being in. A few weeks ago, I met a blogger who was, who was in town in Austin and, and her, 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 her company, had, I think, moved her here for a few months just to do some work in the city of Austin. Uh, I think it was during South by Southwest, pre and post. And, and so she's in town and she's, she's an atheist. She has no intentions of growing spiritually while she's here. But her first Sunday here, she had this thought, I should go to a church in Austin. I'm in Texas. She comes to Gateway. And she came every Sunday for the three months she was here. And her last Sunday, she stopped me in the lobby here at the North Campus, and she's crying, and she said, I did not expect to come to a city and for God to change my heart. Right? Listen, she didn't move here. She was here for three months. She was in a city doing work, and I wonder if we miss out on opportunities because are our eyes and ears open the way we're going to see what happens to Paul? So here we are, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, his friends in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he's starting to see for the first time. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They are in Greece now. They're not in Jerusalem. They're not in Israel. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. We're going to continue the story. A few verses down, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples but built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, and some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human beings and skill. Verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And again, that word repent, if you grew up hearing that word, repent sometimes was used to come against you. Repent is actually a beautiful invitation to turn. It's an invitation more than it is always an accusation, but we have to come to the realization of where we are. So to turn. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, this being Jesus. 
And he's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Here's a few things we can learn from this story really quick. Four things about Paul being in a place he didn't expect to be in a city he had no plans to be in and yet God begins to open his eyes for what could be. First thing is this. Paul is open to see what God sees. He's minding his business. He's doing his own thing and yet he's open. And sometimes when we find ourselves in situations or in cities or in business or in a classroom, or in a university that we don't want to be in, sometimes our heart begins to close to self-protect. It's a defense mechanism. And but what would happen if we actually opened our heart to God, opened our eyes to see what God sees, opened our ears to hear what God might be saying, because sometimes we're in these situations and God is trying to do something in us, at the very least, something through us. So Paul is open to see. The second thing is, he brings the good news where he has influence. He's in the synagogue and the marketplace. Where do you have influence? Where do you go regularly? Where do you get your hair cut? Where do you go to your favorite restaurant? Do you, do you know that waiter, that server by name? Do you know their story a little bit? Do you, do you get to know people as you're just living your life and, and out and about? As, as your pastor, you gotta know all the time, here's what happens. I'm in the city, I'm somewhere. I tell people I'm a pastor, oh, where? Gateway Church. And almost every time, and I just don't understand it, other than it's the legacy that John and Kathy left for us and the way our people, you have embraced our culture, almost every time somebody will say, oh, I have a friend who goes to Gateway. And they will almost always tell me of a time how one of you helped them or served them or fed them or loved them because we embrace where we have influence. Number three, he builds a bridge of common good. How do we know this? He contextualizes the message that came from Jerusalem, the message of Jesus, and he changes it because he loves the people of Athens now that he has seen them. Now that he's open to them because he didn't plan to be there, but now that he's there and he sees and his heart is grieved, he contextualizes the message. He never even says the name Jesus because they wouldn't understand, but they would understand the power behind the name. He doesn't say back in Jerusalem. They don't care about Jerusalem. He loves them where they are and builds a bridge of common good wherever they might be. And number four, he gives the hope and life of Jesus. He talks about his life, his death, and he, he focuses on the resurrection and the hope it brings that we too will be resurrected like Christ. And then here's what happens. He begins to live out exactly what we're talking about. He begins to live it out, but there are three types of responses. I want to cover these really quick. When you begin to live like Jesus, and you begin to understand that, and that can be for those of you who are exploring faith, once you come to know Jesus, not everybody is going to enjoy who you are or the fact that you are a follower of Jesus. And so here's the three responses we see, even with his heart that's open. He faces rejection, 
The passage right after this says, people sneered at him and rejected him. He faces inquiry. People who then say, you know, I think I want to hear more about this. And then number three, he faces people who believe the message. Some of them begin to follow. We're going to do something a little bit different today, and I'm really excited about it. We're going to tag team speak at all of our campuses. Your campus pastor is about to come on stage and finish, finish out this message. But before they come on and they finish that message at your campus, I want to remind you of this. It's not our, responsible, our responsibility to control the outcome of living like Jesus and loving people. It's not our responsibility to force people to come to church or love God. It is just our responsibility to build a bridge from our city to our God. Take it away, guys. And here at North and online, because I am the campus pastor here, We're going to talk about how do we then jump into this. I, th I think we've laid the foundation to understand sometimes we are in a city. I, be honest, how many of you were forced to move here? Don't raise your hand. Don't do anything. Don't even, just like, how many of you are forced to move here? Maybe you, you married somebody who had a job here, or, or maybe your job moved you here, or, or maybe you had an educational opportunity that had to take place in the city of Austin, or maybe you, you came here because... You had a situation in another town and you wanted a fresh start. Does it really matter how you got here? Let me tell you what matters. Are you open for God to do something in your life while you are here? As Austin grows and maybe the city you're in from wherever you're watching is growing or changing, the landscape of our, in our country is, is shifting all major cities are shifting. And we know some of you are watching in LA or Chicago or other major cities around the world. So our city might be something completely different for you, but the concepts are the same. Do we have an open heart for God to do something in us, in the city and the place he's called us to be? Just maybe he's trying to do something in you and I. So here's what we're going to do. How are we going to address this over the next few weeks? We're getting ready to, to do a new series. It's going to be fun and exciting. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun elements to it. We're going to laugh a lot. Uh, it's going to be called The Best Summer Ever. Uh, because The Best Summer Ever is not about the vacation you're going to take. Although that might be a great part of your summer. But what if the best summer ever was it was the best summer because it was the summer your heart was the most open Maybe it was the best summer ever because your mind is open, your eyes are open, your ears are open to whatever God might want to do in and through you. And here's how we're gonna to try to help us as a church have the best summer ever, the blessed challenge. And some of you, if you've been around Gateway a long time or a while, you may have heard this before, but we're getting ready for the first weekend of July. And the first weekend of July, if you're new to Gateway, you just gotta know, uh, we have what's called the church has left the building. We do not have service on that Sunday morning. And we want you to be with the people you love, your neighbors, your family, your friends, because the church is not a building. It's not the lights. It's not the sound. The church is you and I. We are the church. And so two times a year, first weekend of July, and right after Christmas, we have two Sundays where we want you to just be the church. Be the church in your community. Our youth pastor, Isaiah, uh, the last couple of years, he'll open up his garage and make coffee and take coffee orders for all of his neighbors. 
I mean, it, it, it sounds silly, but that's how he loves his neighbors. And now he's like this coffee aficionado, I think. Self-identified for sure. We saw somebody last year, Lane and Teresa, here at our North Campus. They decided we're gonna finally, we're gonna jump in, we're gonna do this, and they opened up their home for a breakfast, and 30 neighbors showed up to have a pancake breakfast. Why? They didn't do anything crazy. They opened up their home. Yeah, give it up for Lane and Teresa. And they just love their neighbors. Why? Because you and I are the church. Kind of made fun of some neighbors last weekend and in jest, and uh, they really don't talk to us very much. And and uh, last night, Libby and I were walking, and we walked behind their house. They're they're facing the main road, and we're walking behind them, and I could hear a noise that was very familiar to me, and a language that was very familiar, and music that was very familiar. And I stopped in my tracks, and I was like, "By golly, these people are Puerto Rican." I know dominoes. I've heard the dominoes clink, and I heard the laugh. I heard the music, and I was like, these are going to be my friends. They don't want to be my friends, but they will be my friends. All of us have this challenge of being the church. So here's what we're going to ask you to do. Three things, and let's all participate together. Here's one. I want you to read a chapter from the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is a great book for us to learn about being the church and shaping our lives to be a reflection of Christ. And for those of you who are exploring faith, as you explore what the church is supposed to look like, I want you to participate because you're here to explore, explore with us. So read a chapter from the book of Acts. Number two, this is not a gimmick. We actually are doing this. It is awesome. I'm telling you, you're gonna love it. I watched some of them myself before they come out. Subscribe to Gateways Austin's YouTube channel because every day, one of our pastors or staff members from multiple campuses is gonna do a devotional and walk you through that chapter of the book of Acts. It's awesome. I did chapter 16. They only asked me to do one. We hear enough of you. One chapter from you. But I was so proud of our staff. Some of our board members, some of our spiritual overseers are participating in this. You want to be a part of it. And number three, look for ways to bless your family, your neighbors, coworkers, and friends. And here's the acronym we use here at Gateway for Bless. B, begin with praying. Just pray for them. You want to know how you can start a spiritual conversation with somebody that you know? Just say, hey, you know, I've been praying for you. But you can't say that. I mean, you could. I guess you could lie to them. We are in the South. People say things like this. But you know, you should never say, oh, I'm praying for you if you haven't been praying for somebody. That is a lie. It's a well-intended lie, but it is a lie. Don't lie. Just, hey, I've been praying for you. Maybe you know why. Maybe you don't know why. But begin with praying. The L stands for listen to them. Have you ever just asked your friends and neighbors a question and just Listen. The E is for engage with them. Sometimes that can be a meal. Sometimes that can be, hey, you know they missed a spot on their lawn. Help them take care of their lawn. Maybe somebody dropped something. Like, do something to engage with the people you say you care about. Number four, serve them. Do something beyond yourself. I was in a new job a few years ago and my wife and I were trying to figure out a way to, to serve our staff and it was a big church and had a lot of staff and you know what my wife and I did? We went and bought a bunch. It was a, these people were health nuts, even more than some of you Austinites were. 
And I, I'm like, you know, I like a good Whataburger sandwich. I'm not going to lie. So I said, let's make a smoothie. She goes, how many people are in your office? I was like, 35. Well, we're going to be doing half a day of smoothies. Let's do it. We paid for everything. And I took half a day and just made smoothies in our office. And my wife came up with me and we delivered smoothies all morning to people in our office. Right? It's, it's easy. Uh, yeah, it takes a little effort and a little time. But what would happen if you just showed up to serve the people in the very office that you say you despise? Maybe God wants to use you in a way you never thought possible. And then number five, share your story with them. Yeah, I know many of us are private. I get it. But I want you to know this. Sharing your story and you beginning with vulnerability can break down so many walls for somebody else. I, I want you to know the online community, you guys have been great. North Campus, you guys have been great. You guys have allowed me to be transparent the last few years, and I will continue to be so. But there are times I have in my notes to share a story, and I don't want to share it because it just feels like too vulnerable. But then I talk to somebody in the hallway, or I get an email, or I'm at a restaurant and somebody stops me and they'll say, hey, when you shared that story, it opened up a conversation for me and my parents or me and my spouse or me and my friend or me and a coworker. And I thought if you can do it in front of thousands of people, I can do it. Sometimes we have to start with our story and watch what God will do with the relationships and the people that you have been given the opportunity and the privilege to live life with. There's so many amazing stories. I have one more and then we're gonna close out. I was at, uh, here in North Austin, uh, around Austin, but here in North Austin, we have a place called Cabo Bob's. And uh, Cabo Bob's is pretty good. And a lot of our staff and, and staffers and leaders will go there. And it's a burrito place and a bowl place. And they have, fr- I'm not, like, it's like a walking commercial, right? And I was there and I got there and I saw one of our leaders there. And she's not just one of our leaders, her husband's on our staff. Uh, her name is Raquel Dishinger. Raquel leads worship sometimes on that end of the stage, and she's really passionate. She's been a part of Gateway for all 25 years. Her husband's our executive pastor. And when I went through the line, I was paying, and Raquel was saying something to me. And if you know Raquel, she's, she's, she's a little bit loud. Not very loud, but a little bit loud. And she's talking to me from across the restaurant. And I'm checking out, and the, the, the young lady, who's probably about 20 years old, says, do you know her? And I had to make a decision in that moment. Oh, gosh. What's the right answer? <laughs> and I said, yes, she's one of my friends. And you know what the lady at the counter told me? This young lady says, oh, she's everybody's friend. She's been here for an hour before you. <laughs> then I had my lunch. And when I left, Raquel was still there. You would have thought she worked there. Loving people having spiritual conversations, praying with people, being friends with people who don't, maybe don't have friends. That's not just for Raquel Dishinger. That could be all of us if we have a heart that's open, eyes open, ears open. How could God use you in a place that maybe you don't even want to be? Paul had no plans there. And yet... He changed people's lives because he was available. We're going to go into this song, and you're going to hear this song over the next few weeks. 
build your church. And as we sing this song, it might be new to you. We're not saying, God, build gateway. God, build the building. God, fill up the parking lot, fill up the building. We're saying, God, build up your people so that we can make a difference in the world. So as we do this, we're, we're singing it. God, do it life by life. Do it in our city. Whatever city you live in, Austin, Leander, Cedar Park, Liberty Hill, Lakeway, some other, you might live in, in Medellin, Colombia. Maybe you live in Berlin or somewhere around the world, but are you open to say, God, build your church in the city I live in. I want to be part of it. So let's sing this together.